Rebecca Seidel is a podcast producer, engineer, and sound designer who has worked on shows for Marvel, NBC, PRX, and more. She's also spent some serious time considering the role that bridges play in our lives. I've always just really loved bridges. I think they're really special in between places. In fact, over the past few years, she created a podcast series dedicated to exploring this very idea called Abridged. The first episode of the series, called The Bridge Man, follows bridge climber Dave Frieder, who has ascended to the top of every major bridge in New York City, and it recently premiered at the Tribeca Festival as part of the Emerging Audio Artists panel. I realized that the podcast was going to take the shape of kind of standalone bridge stories, and that could take on a variety of meanings. So I have another episode that's about the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco kind of emitting this strange humming sound. Another episode about army ants who build bridges out of their own bodies. Today, we speak with Rebecca about her approach to producing, writing, and editing a bridge. The more I research and do pre-interviews with people and dig in, I think the stories kind of emerge. Her path to becoming a podcast producer, engineer, and sound designer. We also discuss her approach to creating soundscapes that can enhance an audio story and the important role that sound plays in her life. It's coming up shortly. From the New York City Center for Media Education, this is CME Presents, where we explore how the digital stories and media that we watch, listen to, and experience are created. I'm Jacob, and this is a conversation with Rebecca Seidel. Rebecca, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As we're talking right now, in a few weeks, you're getting ready for your world premiere of your new podcast series, A Bridge. Mm-hmm. By the time this is released, that premiere will have already happened. That's how time travel works, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Yeah. Those are the rumors I've heard. How are you feeling at this point leading up to this big world premiere? I'm very excited about it. I've been kind of ideating on this show for a really long time and then kind of hit the gas on it maybe about a year ago. So it's been a long time coming. And then suddenly now it's like, oh, it's people are going to hear it. And that's a whole thing. It becomes serious all of a sudden, right? Yeah. So it's surreal and serious and uh, or it's not it's a podcast about bridges. So it's not that serious. Um, (laughs) It could be serious. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really it's incredible that people will get to hear it. It's big. It's really exciting. We will delve into more of that in a bit before we do. You've been working in the audio space for a significant number of years at this point, and you've been spending a lot of time listening, I think it's fair to mm-hmm. say. Do you remember when you first began thinking about audio as not just something that you were listening to, but as something that you wanted to create as well? Absolutely. So in college, I was basically lived at the radio station. What college were you at? Wesleyan. Okay, great. And so WSU was the radio station in Middletown, Connecticut there. And I had a show that I started at 2 a.m. on Thursdays and then graduated. Was that the only option? They were like, we can give you 2 a.m.? Yeah, they were like, you're a freshman and this is how it works. But I think the fact that I loved going in at 2 a.m. meant that it was something I wanted to do. It's a good sign. Yeah. And so I had this show that I did and every year my time slot would get better And I just kind of fell in love with radio and broadcasting to people. And around the same time, podcasts were becoming a thing you could do for a job, which was not a thing really before that. No, I guess it was just radio, right? Yeah. That was it. Yeah, it was 
a whole new world was opening up. And so that was around that time I started listening to a lot of kind of narrative storytelling podcasts and thinking about how I could do that myself and what it would take. What was the radio show that you were working on at the time? It was called Undercover and I played cover songs and I would try to find just the most esoteric weird, fun, silly cover songs I could find, which became a challenge week after week. That's a lot to live up to weekly, honestly. And I found some very strange things along the way. But yeah, that was that was my show. What are you learning about audio or throwing audio out into the world at that time as you're doing it? Is there anything you're picking up in terms of skills or even an ethos that you look back and you say, this was kind of pivotal? I think a few things. First of all, even when I was broadcasting at 2 a.m., people would call in and I would realize that people were listening who I didn't know. And that was kind of magical to me. Sometimes I would get calls from truck drivers who just had happened to flip onto the station. Um, I also had my parents and my grandma listening in, which was very sweet. That's an early wake up time. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Early wake up or early late going to bed, which is more their style. (laughs) They drink a lot of coffee. So yeah, just thinking that anybody could be listening, I think was important for me to realize. So that was one thing. And then as I started listening to more podcasts around that time, I really kind of was drawn to shows that were really sound rich and recorded a lot of just ambient sound or sounds of the environment the story was taking place in. And so that was something I really wanted to incorporate into my own work as I kept doing this was how can I kind of incorporate found sound or sounds of the world that the story is taking place in. I think I I still try to do that today. Do you remember some of the earlier projects you were listening to at the time? It is interesting now when I think back to the early days of podcasting, because it does still feel like a pretty young medium, but just thinking Mm -hmm. in terms of aesthetics, it really does feel like it's evolved quite a bit simultaneously. What were some of those first projects you were listening to? Back in the day, and it's still some shows that are still around and some that are not, but I was a huge fan of um, 99% Invisible was one of them. You know, it's if people are not familiar, it's a show about architecture and design that's incorporated into our everyday world. And there were just a few early episodes that I really loved where they were talking about a building or interesting space where cool engineering happened and they would really go there and you would get to hear it through your headphones. And that was kind of wonderful. I remember an early episode that was only like four or five minutes and someone was interviewed who's tasked with creating the sounds that we hear when we activate electronic objects, such as our iPhone or push buttons on an electronic device. But the sounds are made to sound organic. So we as humans connect to them. Yeah, I love that. I don't know if I heard that one, but you should <laughs> I love check those it kinds out. of things. Yeah. yeah, it's a short listen to, which I think is really interesting because at that time it's like, oh, you could create this like four and a half minute audio story where a company will throw that out into the world. Yeah, I think that was really novel back then too because radio shows were being turned into podcasts, but those were, you know, hour long, half hour slots. So yeah. to have the freedom to do something shorter. It's like, I guess we can. I had never thought about it until this point, but I guess we can do this. Yeah. Were there any other shows that really interest you at the time? There were a bunch. I think another show that I really loved at the time and still do is Love and Radio, which is, <laughs> how do I explain Love and Radio? It's really, really intense, in-depth personal stories that Some of the episodes are less narrated than others, but each episode is kind of a really, really in-depth look at somebody's life who may be living on the fringes in some way. They had some episodes early on where you think you're like getting to know a person through this story and then the entire thing gets turned on its head and you realize that there is some information that was left out 
that then gets revealed and you're just like your entire kind of world explodes. <laughs> yeah, the narrative structure in those episodes is really kind of in another world. <laughs> At that point, when you're listening to these episodes, are you thinking about the narrative structure and breaking down story and thinking about either how this feels revolutionary or different than what you're used to hearing? Yeah, absolutely. And I really, um, there's this website, transom.org, that has a lot of great guidelines and sort of different kinds of uh, lessons for people working in radio or podcasts and people who've been doing it for a long time write these manifestos about how they do what they do. It's really awesome. And it's been around for a long time. So back then, I really loved they had an article about story structure and the different kind of shapes a story can take, one of them being the shape of like a lowercase e. It's maybe hard to describe <laughs> visually, but you're kind of starting in the middle of the story and then you sort of loop around and go backwards until you get back to that point. And then you sort of kind of forward from there. So you're kind of returning to the scene of the crime, so to speak, before you move forward. Yeah, exactly. And there were a bunch of different shapes and people submitted different story shapes that they've kind of worked with. And I think especially when I was starting out, I really looked at those very intensely. And now I kind of it's hard for me to think about stories that way, but I think there's some kind of foundation in there. Does that. it feel too mechanical to think about stories that way? Sometimes. I do think it could be helpful, though, even like something as simple as a three-act structure. I think my brain is a little chaotic and doesn't think that way. But when I zoom out or if I'm working with an editor who thinks that way, it is always helpful. I'm curious in terms of your writing process, which we'll discuss more later, but how are you writing a story? Are you just following impulse? In, in other words, I guess you've absorbed enough storytelling tactics at this point that you kind of just follow it and see where that takes you. Yeah, I think when I'm writing, and usually I'm writing for audio, and I'm writing something nonfiction that involves tape that I've recorded or interviews. I, you know, I think I, I try to have a general sense before I actually start writing of the beginning, middle and end, and of more importantly, what tape I want to use. So I kind of lay out, I've done my interview, I listen back, I pull kind of the selects from the interviews. And then that's kind of my sort of like foundation that I write around. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So, you know, you're working at this radio station, 2am, learning about the perils of sleep debt, what that means. <laughs> I'm still paying that. Okay. Yeah. So you haven't recovered from years working that shift. Is that <laughs> Did that change your entire relationship with sleep? Or are you now like going to bed at six in the morning? And I think my relationship with sleep has always been a little troubled. So <laughs> Okay. That's fair. And yeah, now I'm at the point where I think I'm just in constant sleep debt. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> Is that just what being an adult is? Yeah, I, I can't tell anymore. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I remember a while back I went to a doctor. I'm like, yeah, I'm like not sleeping ever. And he's like, yeah, that's just what happens. Right. It's like, okay. Great. Cool. <laughs> Good to know. Love that for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking forward to many more years of yeah. that. Okay, so you're, you're working at this station. You are kind of absorbing different forms of storytelling that mm -hmm. are opening up your eyes. And at some point, presumably, you graduate from school. I think a lot of times it's kind of elusive, the, the process of moving into podcast creation. Mm -hmm. Some people, as we've noted, start in radio. Some people work independently and then companies hire them yep. due to the work that they've done independently. What's your approach to professionally working in this space? It's evolved a lot as the industry has evolved, right? And so I kind of got into it sort of sideways. So um, when I graduated, I knew I really wanted to work in radio or podcasts, but I wasn't quite sure. It was still sort of a new industry. Like you're saying, it's sort of this weird loop where you want to have tape and samples 
for people to listen to so that they'll hire you. And I didn't actually have a ton of those yet. So I was very green, basically. You were like, I got a bunch of cover songs. Right. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and surprisingly, like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good tip. Yeah, Don't try yeah. to sneak your way in with the cover song right. format. <laughs> Although people do love cover songs. It is true. So maybe um, do. Yeah, I don't know. But so when I graduated, I also studied creative writing in college. Writing is a big love of mine as well. And so I was like, I want to do something with writing, and but also I love audio. And how can those things kind of blend together? I got an internship at an architecture magazine, actually, that I was at for about maybe eight months or so. And then also just kind of scoping around for how can I make my way into the audio space. And then I got a job at Sirius XM. They had a very new podcast team. Was the process fairly smooth in terms of getting the gig, perhaps because the podcast world was wide open at the time? Or what was the process like landing the job? It was pretty open at the time. And so this was a brand new kind of team there. The person who hired me kind of just found me on LinkedIn, which <laughs> I like to share because I at the time and still now, sometimes I'm like, what is the point of LinkedIn? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a valid question. Yeah. <laughs> it's an existential question, too, if you think too hard about it. Right. And I try not to, but it did also get me my first job in audio. So, On your LinkedIn profile at the time, did you have anything even relating to podcasting? Or were they just like someone working in architecture who may have a fond <laughs> love of podcasting? And cover songs. Yes, cover songs as well. <laughs> you know, I had made a few kind of short audio pieces then. So I had a little something to show for myself. And I think I had written something about how much I loved storytelling and podcasts. And I had some writing samples so I think between those things was how they found me. Mm -hmm. And then we were kind of a ragtag crew of people from a lot of different backgrounds. And so, yeah, I think they were trying to find kind of a diverse pool of people loved audio and storytelling and writing. Do you remember what some of those early short pieces you made were like looking back on them now? <laughs> Which is sometimes hard to do. I don't want to project, but I know it yeah. can go either way. I'm kind of afraid to listen to my earliest things. Um, one story I worked on when I was in college that I really loved was I interviewed this woman who calls herself the Saw Lady, and she plays the musical Saw. She busks on the New York City subway and is kind of famous in that if you have ridden the subway, you've probably seen her play. And she just has this beautiful story about how she used to be a dancer and then she got injured and then realized that playing the saw was kind of like dancing in its own way. And I don't know if you've ever heard the musical saw as an instrument. I have, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of this weird, ethereal, creepy sound. Definitely, and beautiful. it's very distinct. Yeah. And so I kind of cold reached out to her and she invited me to her apartment where she has a lot of saws, which in retrospect. <laughs> Red flag number yeah. one. Um, but she was extremely sweet and lovely. And so I interviewed her and kind of turned it into this documentary piece about her. And I had so much fun making it. I think it's still up somewhere. I don't want to tell people where, <laughs> but it was like it was a profile piece with a lot of interesting sonic elements just based on the nature of what she does. Sure. And so that was one thing I worked on that I really loved doing. Sounds great. So, okay, so you're, you're working on these small pieces and you mm -hmm. finally get work at Sirius. What kind of projects are you making there? It was an interesting time, <laughs> but we were basically, um, they were trying to make a podcast app that was sort of curated selections of podcasts that were out there, kind of a podcast curation app, and also making some in-house stuff to share on the app as well. So it's like half tech company, half podcast production. Yeah. And it was sort of a startup within this big company. So, And so you move on to work in other spaces too. You, you become an audio producer for Marvel in some of these spaces. Is there anything you're learning about storytelling or building soundscapes that you carry with you? It was kind of an interesting jump 
to work at Marvel that has all these kind of existing properties, you know. Yeah, you're working with all that IP. Yeah. When you're working at Marvel, what kind of projects are you working on? I worked on a few different types of shows. I worked on a lot of interview shows, so week to week, biweekly. There's a few kind of flagship shows that Marvel has. This Week in Marvel is one. Women of Marvel is another one um, that are kind of interviews with people who are working in the Marvel space, whether they're comic book creators or filmmakers or people working on the TV shows. And so a lot of my job was producing and editing those interviews. Then I worked on a documentary show called Marvel's Declassified, which was kind of the Marvel's first foray into more narrative nonfiction. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and so looking at Marvel's history, interviewing a lot of kind of old school Marvel creators. And then I dipped my toe a little bit into the fiction side. Um, So audio drama shows. So you're doing a bit of everything. A little bit of everything, Yeah. yeah. Which is super cool and fun and also, you know, limiting in its own way because any big corporation like that has a specific way they want their characters to be portrayed and their stories to be told. And so there's a lot of kind of red tape there. But I think those constraints were actually helpful in some ways because just in terms of producing and editing, I had to be razor sharp about, you know, interview questions and editing precisely and taking people's notes, taking notes from a lot of different places and kind of incorporating them all into something coherent. That is a huge challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was interesting because I was doing that. And then also around that time, I started taking on more independent work and trying to cultivate my own voice in terms of making audio and editing and producing. I work on this podcast still called Other Men Need Help, which is about sort of society's image of masculinity and how people try to conform to it and hide things about themselves in the process. It's kind of a documentary slash personal essay storytelling show hosted by Mark Pagan. And so I started working on that back in 2017, but kind of continued. And we're actually working on the fourth season right now. I've been working on that show for quite a few years now, and I was working on it on weekends and nights while working at Marvel. And that show, I am the lead engineer on it now. So that means doing a lot of the sound design and the final mix and everything like that. Doing that helped me cultivate kind of my creative audio side, as well as kind of my own projects. So really thinking intentionally about using music, using sound effects, trying to build kind of a sonic voice for different types of shows. You've mentioned that you're really attracted to this idea of utilizing soundscapes to help tell stories. And I'm wondering when you think about telling a story through sound, aside from audio interviews or voiceovers, are there certain approaches or directions you take in terms of a starting point? Or is this more kind of a visceral feeling you go off of or a bit of column A, a bit of column B? I guess it kind of depends on the story. I'm kind of a obsessive recorder of everything. And so even just things that I don't intend on making a story about, the voice memos app on my phone is my best friend. And so That's nice. It's an accessible friend. It never leaves you. It never leaves you. Um, It's very reliable. It actually captures pretty decent audio. And so I'm always, if I hear an interesting sound, I'm usually recording it. And sometimes that might be the basis for a story or it might become texture for a story. But I'm always, always recording. Always be recording is kind of my motto. That's a pretty good motto. (laughs) And so if I'm actually working on a story and I know what the story is, one of my kind of early things in my game plan is what ambient audio field sound do I need? That's always part of my plan is getting as much field tape as possible. And so I always kind of have that in mind. And then kind of on the flip side, if I am working on a story and then realize I need some kind of field tape that I don't have 
I'll write that into the script that I'm working off of and either go and try to record that or go online and try to find something that sounds like it. Yeah. And so I'm always kind of working with field tape in mind to help bring a story to life. I imagine this might be case by case, but when you're recording in the field, you could record sounds with the intent of providing a more literal interpretation, or you could use sound that is possibly repurposed and used to paint a feeling, for lack of a better word, or subtext. How do you think about the purpose of field recordings when you collect sounds? And then how do you implement them into your project, depending on the needs of the project? I think it really depends. Sometimes it depends on sort of the scene I'm trying to paint. If I'm trying to really take somebody to a specific place, I might try to be as literal as possible with whether it's actual field sound from the thing that happened or something similar trying to get something that really sounds like what I'm talking about. But sometimes, you know, some shows I work on, I don't need something that literal. Maybe it's a flashback right. or maybe it's painting a scene that's in somebody's head or a dream. And then I kind of have to get more creative with what kinds of field sounds I'm trying to use. And then I might find something that is not directly what is being talked about, but maybe is, can evoke a feeling. Yeah. It's a good moment now to fast forward a bit. Fast forward to this excellent series of bridge you're working <laughs> yes. on. It feels very vast in scope. Bridges, as you kind of touch on in the first episode that you were kind enough to send me, can exist in many forms and serve people in different ways. Do you produced, edited, sound designed? Why would you do that to yourself, first of all? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> but also, what was the catalyst for you to begin entertaining this large project? So I had the idea for it a while back. I think I was actually maybe three years ago or so, maybe four years ago. And I've always just been taken by projects, whether it's audio or books or anything, where somebody is really fixated on one thing. <laughs> and I don't know. I've always just really loved bridges. I think they're, and I talk about this in the podcast, but growing up in, in Queens, going into Manhattan, you always cross over the Queensboro Bridge. And I don't know, they always just felt like these really special in-between places. And so I can't pinpoint exactly when I realized I wanted to make a podcast about that, but I knew they were really just fascinating to me. When you say these in-between places, can you elaborate a bit on what that means to you? I think there aren't many places where they're purpose is just getting you from point A to point B when you think about it. Um, and so you're always kind of generally in motion on a bridge trying to get from one island to another, one, one space to another. I like walking a lot. I'm a big, big walker. And so I've spent a lot of time just walking over bridges and stopping in the middle and just looking out at the city or wherever I am. And I don't know, those moments feel very special to me. And I think we don't often pause in those in between point A and point B spaces. And so I was interested in exploring that. This feels very much like a New York story. Uh, mm -hmm. Someone who, who grew up in New York and experienced the city in a way which, yeah, you don't often stop. You're always rushing from one place to another. In some yeah. ways, do you consider this a New York story or is that just my perception that I'm building on based on nothing? It's interesting because I've gone back and forth on that a lot. Mm. Um, I really, you know, I've lived in New York my whole life, and so it's what I know. But I think when I <laughs> was trying to take on something, a topic as vast as bridges, <laughs> there are bridges everywhere in the world. Sure. And I really am trying not to be too New York-centric about it, even though that is what's literally closest to home for me. And so I think I naturally gravitated towards New York stories in this, but I've also been trying to 
expand beyond that. That makes sense. Yeah. There is something very universal, of course, about the bridge. So you've talked a bit about catalyst for the idea. At that point, how are you deciding which bridges to explore? There are potentially <laughs> infinite bridges there. if we're using the bridges in our mind as well as the physical ones as examples. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what is that process like? Yeah. And so that's an ongoing process for me. Um, <laughs> and I, I just started scouting around for interesting bridge stories. Not just that, but or people who have a really deep fascination with or obsession with bridges themselves, maybe kindred spirits, if you will. Yes. And so the more I was researching, the more I realized that the podcast was going to take the shape of not individual episodes about individual bridges, but more kind of standalone bridge stories, and that could take on a variety of meanings. So some of the episodes are more profile pieces, like episode one, which we can talk about more. But I really, <laughs> I really want to get as micro and macro with it as I can. So I have another episode that's about army ants who build bridges out of their own bodies. Another episode about the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco kind of emitting this strange humming sound. So some of them are stories about individual bridges and some of them are more kind of like, what is a bridge? Right. Bridge 101. <laughs> yeah. And so I think what I'm going for is as much of a, a scope as possible. And so that makes it hard to narrow down for sure. But the more I research and do pre-interviews with people and kind of dig in, I think the stories kind of emerge. As you're doing your research, you're deciding what stories have legs to build on for an episode. Does that help narrow it down? Yeah. Or I guess to put it in, in bridge terms. Yes. Which have everything the best... <laughs> must be put in bridge terms today, please. <laughs> yes. Which have the best uh, foundations. Oh, very nice. Yeah, wow. Thank you. you. You were made to produce this <laughs> podcast. It all makes sense. <laughs> You also touch on this idea of metaphorical bridges. To you, mm -hmm. what are some examples of metaphorical bridges? How do they manifest or exist in our minds? <laughs> I was going to say the world, but I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because I guess when you start going down that path too much, like anything can be a metaphorical bridge. Right. <laughs> you know, what is a connection between two people that it's, it's a bridge of some sort, right? Sure. Like you have point A and point B and they're connecting in some way. A bridge is a connection of some sort. I'm still trying to figure out that angle, I think. But one thing I am really interested in is bridges as characters or like anthropomorphizing them in some way. And so if a bridge could talk, what would it say? Have you thought of any answers yet? Yeah, actually. And I might use this tape on one of the episodes, but I found this recording on New York Public Radio from, I believe, the 40s. And it was celebrating the anniversary of the Brooklyn Bridge opening. And they had a voice actor come on and be the voice of the Brooklyn Bridge. And it's this kind of very deep, melancholy sort of reflecting <laughs> on the past. Um, it has to be that, of course. Right, yeah. right. And it's talking about like the years I've seen of people crossing over me and the wars I've seen. And it's very intense. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Not trying to sugarcoat anything. Yeah, no, definitely not. But it's it's very charming and very strange. And I do think a lot about the history that bridges have seen. And, you know, some of these structures were built just at pivotal times in history. And then they've just kind of seen cities build up around them. And so I feel like they're an interesting vantage point for thinking about history, too, in that way. Yeah, I wonder how they would feel observing the changing landscape. Yeah, they probably would have a lot to say. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. <laughs> You mentioned the first episode, which would be great to delve deeper into. The first episode that you were kind enough to send to me 
focuses on David Frieder, who climbs bridges in New York City and takes photos from these vantage points that most of us are not privileged to see Mm -hmm. the skyline, the world from, because we're not climbing these really high bridges in New York City. How did that collaboration start? And from the beginning, did you know that this would be episode one, the episode that kind of sets the tone for what this show will be about and what is explored? I don't think I always knew it would be episode one, but I was fascinated by his story for a while. I talk about this a little bit on the podcast, but I met him because I have being somebody who's kind of tapped into the bridge world. (laughs) I found out that the Hellgate Bridge, which is one of my favorite bridges connecting Astoria and Randall's Island, it was celebrating its 115th, some anniversary of being opened. Right. And so the Astoria Historical Society, which is near where I live, was having a birthday party for the bridge. And so I went and there was a cake and it was very nerdy and very fun. And I was the youngest person there by (laughs) several decades. But Dave was there presenting some of his photos that he's taken from these very, very high up vantage points of these bridges. And he talked about bridges in a way that really spoke to me. He knew everything about them and had this kind of deep love of the structures and how they worked and this deep knowledge. And so I started thinking about just how cool would it be to talk to him and hear kind of where that's coming from. And so I reached out to him, interviewed him at his home where he has all of these relics from like actual pieces of bridges. And so I was right in that he has this just sort of very, very deep knowledge of bridges and how they work and kind of this history of climbing them that I think is it's such a New York story that I was really drawn to. Mm. And so that kind of just started taking shape. It was actually the, the first interview I did for the show. And so I think it naturally sort of started leading itself to being the first episode. Did it take a while for you to decide that this was a project you wanted to give to the public? Or right away, did you know, well, this is a project that should be not just for me, but for everybody? I think I was always making it, hopefully, with an audience in mind, but I didn't have the motivation to actually (laughs) go through with making a season of it until more recently. So I work now for a company called Goat Rodeo, which is a podcast production company based in Washington, D.C. And, you know, there's seven of us. We're small and mighty. Yes. (laughs) And my colleagues there were kind enough to really take an interest in the project and give me kind of space to work on it. And like give me editorial notes, which I hadn't before. I was kind of just working in a bubble by myself. As you mentioned, I write, edit, produce, Sounds terrifying. Sound, design. Yeah. You are in a cave of darkness. Right. Yeah. Uh, around a bridge of darkness. Yeah, uh, there you go. Right. Yes. <laughs> and so just having other people listening, I think really motivated me to actually keep going on it and think about building an audience for it and making it something that would go out into the world. So I think that was the kind of pivotal step was not working in a bubble anymore. That's key. Even if you're working in a bubble, there's glimpses of light somewhere. Yeah. Or even just having anybody, whether it's any kind of creative collaborator, even if they're just listening and giving you notes, makes such a big difference. Yeah. The tone of Abridged, at least the first episode I've listened to, and I imagine the rest of them as well, is very specific. And I'm wondering if you've considered in great detail how to craft that tone or if that was just something you sort of found just in terms of the writing, in terms of how much you choose to present yourself as a character, which Mm -hmm. you serve an important purpose, but you kind of serve 
mostly as a tour guide. You know, we're not going too much into the interior of yourself or your emotions. We we just know that you really like bridges. And I think by proxy, we get excited about bridges. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, or I did. You know, <laughs> I was listening alone. So when I say we, I yeah. mean me, Jacob. But, but there's definitely that element too. Mm-hmm. And the kind of writing you do too sort of serves as our eyes, as we listen, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Totally, yeah. We hear about Dave climbing these bridges and we imagine him kind of balancing over these large structures while trying to take photos as the wind is mm. you know, blowing past him. And so all of these elements really create a strong, meaningful tone. Uh, what was your approach to building that? Yeah, it kind of took shape as I went. Like I didn't necessarily go in saying I wanted to have this specific tone, but I think I'm drawn to podcasts and audio pieces that do take on kind of a, I don't know if mellow is the right word, but kind of a calm, puts you in a calm kind of meditative space for absorbing sounds and stories. Feels accurate. I'm glad. That's the kind of storytelling I'm often drawn to in the audio world. And so I think I was kind of aspiring to that. And then in the past, I've worked on shows that have a big variety of tones, some shows that are very, you know, host forward, and the personality of the host is kind of what's guiding you. Right. And other shows that are completely non-narrated, right? So you're just hearing the guest speak, or you're just hearing their story. And so I knew, I guess, that I wanted this to be somewhere in the middle. And I think my inclination at first for me as the host to play a very minimal role in it and kind of let the stories speak for themselves And then three rounds of edits kind of realized that me being obsessed with bridges was a significant part of it and kind of handholding that a listener might need. Because I think in my brain, I was like, oh, everybody loves bridges. Right. Naturally. (laughs) Right. And like this is it's going to be obvious why I'm making this show and why you should listen. And then I realized as I went that that wasn't necessarily true and that my passion for it needed to come through in the narration and in my presence in the show while still not having me be like front and center because I don't want that. <laughs> Why don't you want that? I think I've, I've always worked behind the scenes on everything I've worked on basically up till this. And so this has been a big, a big shift for me. Was it a daunting shift or more so just a new space you were yeah. moving towards? I would say it was a little daunting, but kind of a fun change in, <laughs> change in pace for me. Yeah. And so I wasn't against it. But it was like a little weird to get behind the mic for the first time for it and worked with a lot of hosts over the years and they're the ones behind the mic and I'm giving notes. And so to kind of flip that around was strange. (laughs) Thinking now about the structure of your first episode in the series, it's interesting just how little is needed for us to care about this topic. That's so good for me to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You don't spend a lot of time talking about how much you love Bridges, but just the way you express it is enough right away, you know, the listener to be hooked. Did you play with different approaches to initially bringing the audience in? I know you addressed this a little bit already, trying to decide how much you should be part of the story, but just in terms of the writing itself. Yeah, I definitely had a bunch of iterations of how much to try to reel people in. Again, I think my instinct was less, and then I realized there needed to be more But I think I hopefully found a good balance there. But yeah, I had kind of one version of the story that was basically just launched right into this sort of profile of of Dave. And I didn't really give my reasoning for (laughs) jumping into it in this way. And then, yeah, the feedback I got from a few people was like, I'm with you, but I need to know a little bit more why I should be with you and the why of this. And because it's the first episode in the series, kind of the why of the series. So I ended up adding more and then actually scaling it a little bit 
back. So it kind of went back to the middle because then I sort of I think I overdid it a little bit and like explained for a bit too long why I love bridges. It's like a 20 minute rant. Right. You're like another thing about <laughs> yeah. bridges. Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's kind of like a monologue. And so I realized <laughs> like you need to kind of lead people along or like, convince people a little bit and then have them take the final step in being like, yeah, I'm in, you know. How do you find that balance? Is it mostly, as you mentioned, handing it to other people and receiving feedback? It's often feels like this very precarious thing where you want to get it just right. You don't want to overlead people where they get bored, but you don't want to leave them in the dark or confused. I think it's exactly that. Um, getting feedback of where it's dragging when they're listening um, and then where they want more. I would say that phase of it gets me three quarters of the way there. And then a lot of what I do in my work is sound design and mixing and kind of putting the final touches on a project. And for me, some editorial decisions come in that phase too, where I'm listening back and realizing now that I've added music, I've added sound design, this isn't quite landing right still. And maybe it sounds like I'm going on a bit too long or need something more. It's usually that I need to cut and scale back. So with this first episode, even in when I was working on kind of the almost final pass, I was making cuts, which isn't necessarily great if you're working with a team, but because it's basically me for most of it, yeah, I was able to kind of give myself those notes. Now you've talked about in terms of sound design and how important that is to you. Were there some specific decisions that you're really happy about in terms of this first episode, certain moments that you felt really worked well with particular sound design? One thing I really hoped to do with this episode was really try to put people on the top of these bridges. And that was a sonic challenge because you're not looking at anything and you're just hearing the story from somebody who's been there, but you haven't, right? And so I played around a lot with trying to capture in my mind, and I haven't been to the top of a bridge either. So I'm going totally on Dave's descriptions and my imagination. Well, you weren't willing to do some research, huh? <laughs> Climb the tallest bridge, just to understand. I have way more of a fear of heights than, than he does. Gotcha. And so, yeah, it was a combination of hearing these descriptions and what I imagine it might look and sound like based on that. And so I tried to get into that headspace and I pulled some field sounds <laughs> Not things that I had recorded from the tops of bridges, but okay. kind of analog sort of sounds. And I'm really happy with how it came out. I really tried to give those moments space to give a listener time to kind of put themselves there. And I think I accomplished what I wanted to, which was building up a soundscape, but not overdoing it where it doesn't seem believable. Hopefully I captured that. You did. <laughs> and, and I was grateful for those moments because I think sometimes people are fearful of lag time. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, well, if we let things rest for too long, people's minds will meander. But I think it just works in terms of creating these meditative moments where I don't know what he looks like, but I still envision him for some reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm filling in the pieces, which I think is something really interesting about strictly working the audio space without visuals, as you mentioned, how you accomplish that. I'm glad that works. And yeah, that's something I would love to hear more of in podcasts in general is just breathing space. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. It does feel like a lot of times in general, people are just afraid of meandering attention spans or waiting attention spans rather. And so they're just like, all right, we got to constantly feed them with information. And sometimes that feels more exhausting to me than providing you with breaths and the story and time to actually think about the information you're digesting. 
Totally. And I feel that way even as somebody who listens to things on 1.5 speed sometimes. Yeah. I feel like there's a time and place to slow down. So a lot of your listening is 1.5 speeds. Is this an efficiency thing? <laughs> it kind of, it really depends yeah. on the type of show. Um, so if it's a news show, often I'll listen a little faster where I'm trying to absorb information. But anything that's more in the vein of, and maybe it's because I work on things like this yeah. that are more kind of soundscaped, I try to... <laughs> keep it at a normal speed. Okay. Yeah. yeah for, for the respect for the craft. Right. So exactly. Right. Let's respect what we're doing here, people. <laughs> right. Moving forward, we've mentioned that you're preparing for the world premiere of this project at Tribeca. And generally when we listen to podcasts, it's something that happens a lot of times in solitude. You know, we have our AirPods on, on the train. Right. We're waking up in the morning, getting ready for work and listening to music or audio stories. Have you thought at all about what it means to play audio for a group of people and maybe how that either changes the context or the experience and what that means to you? Yeah, it's a little terrifying. Um, That's valid. Yeah. I've been lucky with this project to um, have a few like group feedback sessions where I play an episode for people and we're all kind of experiencing it together. So I think I've gotten a little bit of my jitters out on that. Okay. Work <laughs> them out. Right. But it is... I find it a really beautiful experience to listen to something in a group and to hear people's reactions in real time when people are laughing, when maybe people's attention might be waning a little bit, when they're really kind of clued in to the story. And so I think there should be more group listening sessions for podcasts or whatever the equivalent of a movie theater experience is. Yeah. And there have been things like that, but I it's kind of a challenge to get people into the same place just to listen to something. But I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's, <laughs> I'm definitely, I get self-conscious listening to my own work in a group, but I do think it's also really valuable and, and fun. I don't know what it is, how a movie theater serves enough promise that people go in, but if it's just audio, it's a harder sell. There's this podcast called The World According to Sound that started out as really short snippets of audio recordings, field recordings that these two producers would share. And then they would play it out a little bit and then come in with narration and give you context for what you were listening to. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And it would be, I don't know, like a geyser in a national park somewhere. And you would just hear this kind of wild sound and try to be figuring out what it is. And then they would come in and tell you or like everyday kind of household sounds like a sink being turned on. So really kind of from the mundane to kind of these spectacular sounds. And they evolved into doing these during the pandemic, these listening sessions that were kind of online, like hour long listening sessions that everybody was listening to at the same time. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, like compilations of sounds. And that was a really cool communal listening experience where everybody was there just to listen. Right. It wasn't all in a room, although they've done that too. But for me, that kind of showed the power of all kind of coming together to listen to something, even if you're not in the same place. That's amazing. Yeah. In terms of this project moving forward, is Abridged a continuous project? I know you've recorded a bunch of episodes. You have a website up where it says, if you have bridge stories, please send them my way. I'm paraphrasing, but something along those lines. Is this ongoing or is this a contained certain number of episode series? My dream for it is to have it be seasonal. So have kind of on and off where I have a collection of episodes take a break, have another collection of episodes. To me, this concept does have legs or I guess foundations. Very nice. Uh, yes. Let's bring it back full yeah, circle. Right. And so, you know, like we were talking about before, there's kind of infinite bridge stories. A while back, I put out a call for bridge stories and got so many responses. Really? Yeah. Where did you put out a call? 
I did it on this. There's a listserv for radio producers. It's based here in New York, but people are on it from all over the place. It's a pretty big listserv. And so I put it out there and got dozens of responses. And so I've loved making this show and I would love to keep making it. And I also like shows that have self-contained seasons where they kind of put a lot of production work into a season and then take time to make the next one. I get stressed out by always on shows. Feels like you have a good meal and you have time to digest it versus feeling like, oh, I have to eat the next meal already. Right. And time to kind of market it and let it grow and gain an audience a little bit. Yeah, that's my hope for it is to make a season, see how it goes, hopefully make another season. I do have one more question for you about Abridged, which is after working on these episodes, has it changed your notion or idea of what a bridge is or your relationship to bridges further from when you started? Yeah, definitely. I think on the most basic level, anytime I'm approaching a bridge or near a bridge now, I'm kind of looking at it a little more intentionally or even just as simple as, look, a bridge. (laughs) It exists. (laughs) Yeah. I always have loved bridges, but before, don't think I would go over a bridge and think, what's the story here? Or is there somebody who has a really deep connection to this bridge in particular? Um, And now I'm always thinking about that. And so... That's one thing I think that has changed. I also, I think, have a deeper appreciation now for just walking over bridges and pausing and standing there and thinking about being kind of in that in-between space. And so, yeah, I guess it's made me more intentional in how I think about them. Do you have any great bridge-centric way to close this episode? (laughs) How do we incorporate bridges into the close? I should have thought of this beforehand. (laughs) Uh, Hmm. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Very (laughs) good. Becca, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much, Jacob. This has been really, really great. And fun. Take care. You too. (laughs) From the New York City Center for Media Education, this has been CME Presents. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Music is by Jacob Backer, William Hutchison, and Sean Sparacino. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and review. And don't forget to check out our website at nyccenterformediaeducation.org for more information about media making and filmmaking classes.